Good morning and welcome to K2. It sounds like we have some Alabama Shakes fans out there. Uh, hey, we're so glad that you're here with us. Happy New Year to all. And um, we are starting a new series today called Hold On. And 
I came across this story uh, just this week of Eddie Rickenbacker, who was a World War I ace, uh, very famous. And then uh, after, the, when the Second World War broke out, he became a civilian uh, uh, consultant for the military. And he was traveling around, visiting uh, different uh, military bases and training facilities. And on one of his trips, his plane made a forced landing in the Pacific Ocean. And he and seven of his companions were adrift for 24 days before they were uh, finally rescued. And he said, after being rescued, let the day come when nothing but life is left. And you will find that you do not hesitate over the fate of material possessions. It's very interesting when you think, when you're faced with your own mortality and the reality that you may eventually die, it becomes quickly easy to do an assessment of what you have in your life. What's interesting is that we have that same opportunity on a spiritual level daily to make the assessment as to what are we holding on to and what are we going to be taking with us when we go. Dave Nelson is going to be up here to talk with us about that in just a few minutes. But before he does, we just wanted to share with you a story of one of our own people here, Garrett Hoover, our video director, and a little bit of a valuable possession that he has. So take a look at this. Welcome to K2 and Happy New Year. My grandfather gave me a pocket watch when I was in high school. And it was really cool at the time uh, because, I mean, it's just a, a cool thing to be given. And uh, he told me that it was actually his grandfather gave it to him. Uh, and he bought it when he came over to the U.S. from England. And so it's been around for all these, these years and been passed down in the family. And so when he gave, my grandfather gave it to me, it was really cool because, I mean, there's a number of, of men in my family. And uh, for him to give it to me was, it meant a lot. But not until a few years later after it, he, uh, he passed away, did the full meaning actually start to hit me? My uh, my grandfather was pretty. He was a pretty quiet man, but stern in a lot of ways. Um, he had a real a really good presence. It's certain these these certain traits or these characteristics that he he kind of he passed on without me even realizing it. <laughs> the, this idea of the the pursuit of like excellence and craftsmanship and all the the details and fine things that. He, he did as a craftsman, um, and then he passed on to me as in my work. So I take this watch and I see it, and I know it means more than it's. It's not just a pocket watch. It's it's more than just a watch. It's more than just an object. I hold on to that. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to 2015. Here we go. Well, it's a, uh, it never stops, does it? We have another new year, and it's obviously a new year because the Lions are in the playoffs. So, all right, it is amazing. So let's pray. Um, 
No, so, so grateful um, for you guys joining us here. And let me just ask you, right, because this is a time when we do this, how many of you are doing New Year's resolutions? How many got into resolutions? All right. So that's probably close to the national average. Apparently, about 50% of Americans actually do New Year's resolutions. Um, the good news is, or bad news is, 30% of those are broken within the first week. <laughs> So for those of you who rose your hand, you got a few more days, and then you can just join the rest of us, okay, in your efforts. Uh, but in, in 90% apparently have fallen short after six months. And so um, it was interesting when I looked at this whole idea of resolutions, Luther Ellis actually sent me a, uh, a website uh, to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's a, very, a really cool ministry that works with athletes in the, around the country. And the guy who was writing this particular devotional was just talking about his frustration personally with um, making resolutions. The fact that he would make them and never really follow them through and just get frustrated. Uh, or on the flip side, he said, I didn't want to be somebody who just didn't make them, who didn't have any intention of becoming any better. And so he came up with something new. And um, so I, I'm doing this this year, and I'm really intrigued by it. Um, it there's a book actually written uh, called One Word. It's one word. So instead of coming up with some goals of some certain things that you want to try to do, which, you, you know, after a few weeks you stop doing and get frustrated, he started choosing just one word that was going to be his word for the year and just shared in this how it's actually been incredibly life transformational, So, which is why you do a resolution in the first place, right? And so, um, so I decided to, to do this, to, to sit and pray and just go, because what he said was, the first few years he did this, he chose the word, <laughs> and then he really realized that eventually, God's the one who should actually choose the word. So God, what do you want to do with me in this upcoming year? And so, um, so I don't know, I encourage you maybe to think about that, and it can be a, it could be a fruit of the spirit, it could be patience, kindness, goodness, it could be a different type of character trait, it could be a discipline, something that you want to infuse into your life, it could be a person. Um, but I, it was really interesting, because I, as soon as I uh, started praying about it, I feel like God just kind of plopped that word right into my lap. <laughs> now, I'm not going to share with you what it is. <laughs> But, uh, but I'm, I'm really interested in going through it this year. So I actually, t last night, sat down with my whole family. And I thought, I'm going to see if my kids will join me in this. I'm Susie. And so I talked this through with them about choosing a, a word for them. Because they also said that the, they work with sports teams. And so these teams will have all the players will come up with a word. But then the team itself will come up with a word for, for the team for the year. So I told my kids, hey, why don't we do this individually? Let's all pick a word that, that, that we feel like is going to be our word for the year. And then, uh, and then maybe we'll come up with one for a family. And, and it was fun, yeah, too. I mean, because Mariah had one, and she didn't want to share with us what it was yet, but she had something. And then Ashlyn had one immediately and that she shared with us. And, and um, I won't share that with you either. But, uh, but then Caleb came up, and he goes, I got my word. And I go, well, what is it? And he goes, touchdowns. <laughs> I'm like... I'm training him well, training him well. But when we get to these resolutions, you guys, it, the only reason that we do them is I believe God gives us this gift of time. And time is a wonderful thing because it allows us to have a yesterday. And lots of times we're glad that something is no longer there and it, it allows us to put that in the past. And it also, time gives us the gift of tomorrow. And with tomorrow, there's always hope. The sun will come out tomorrow. Okay, that was nothing. All right. <clears throat> um, 
But the, the, so when a new year comes, the reason we even think about this is because we want something to change. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you want something to change in your life? Okay. We always do. All of us do. What's interesting to me is the gospel, which is simply a word that means good news. It's the core message of what Jesus Christ came and what teaching, uh, the Christian teaching is. The gospel is actually centered all around the theme of change. Jesus called out to his people and he said, hey, repent, right? Well, what does repent mean? Repent means if you're walking in this direction uh, and doing certain things, then you need to turn and make a complete change and walk in this direction. So the very beginning of, of, of a relationship with God comes through change. But then he says, if you actually receive me, you will become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Like this is God saying to us, my whole center of thought towards you is to change you, is to bring you something new and that the old could be gone. And then one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that with ever increasing glory, we are being transformed, there's the word change again, transformed into the image of Christ. So I, t- I, I turn and I change, I receive a radical change, and then for the rest of my life, I'm being changed. And so there is a theology of change that seems to be in the nature of God and his work of redemption for us. So it's 2015, K2. Are you ready for a change? Because that's what's going to happen. A change is happening for us in this church. And so we decided uh, to title um, our message series this fall, or this fall, I was thinking of starting things uh, in January, hold on. And it kind of has a double entendre as far as the meaning goes. Um, When we first started K2 and we moved everybody from Detroit and came out here to Salt Lake, that's what our our theme was kind of a roller coaster because we were just saying, hey guys, get ready to take the ride of your life and just hold on. And I I just want to tell all of us here, I think when there's no question in my mind that God has us on a ride. And we need to hold on and we need to get ready for the twists and the turns and the ups and the circles and all that he has for us. But um, what I want to talk to us about today and throughout this whole month is in the midst of the change, there's always things that we hold on to. There are things that don't change. See, the beauty about God is he's changing us, but he never changes And so there are some things in this year for us at K2 that we got to hold on to and that we're going to be committed to doing that. And so um, how many of you have had the great privilege of moving? Anybody had the privilege of moving? (laughs) Okay. Okay. I can see you've all enjoyed that. But, you know, moving, one of the fun things I think about moving is, can you believe all the stuff you got rid of? (laughs) You're like, what in the world? Why do I have all this stuff? And the cool thing about moving is it gives you a chance to find, and, and if you're a pack rat, that's not a good thing, but, but for me, I'm just like, man, clean it out. So we find that there's some things that we're actually glad to get rid of as we move. It, it kind of purifies uh, the stuff in our life. But the other thing is, um, that's true when you move, is there are some things that you can't take with you. So um, I loved our first home. Uh, Susie and I got married in 99 and uh, went right from getting married to go back to Detroit. And so our first home together was our, was our home in Detroit. 
And there were just some first things I loved about it. Um, very first thing we did with our money from our wedding was I bought a grill, right? Because I'm a guy. And so I bought a grill and then I built a back deck. And I tell you, man, I loved that deck. And I'm so grateful that I built that right off the bat so we had it our whole time. The other thing I loved about that home is it had a front porch. And I, and I loved both of those features. And our home here has neither of those. <laughs> I, I loved the fact that um, our, our street was tree-lined. And they were big, huge, mature trees. So they just, it, it created a canopy, like a tunnel. So when the spring would come, right, the green leaves would just cover it up. And then the fall was gorgeous. And in the winter, the snow would just create a canopy. I, I love that about our, our, our home. I love the fact that our home was built in 1920. Anybody else love old homes? Love the big, huge trim and the character that that home had. It was a Cape Cod style. Um, I loved what happened in that home, right? You're a newlywed in that home. Had our first child in that home. Mariah was born there. Had our second child there. I remember just so many great memories of that. And, and, and what I realized <clears throat> is... Um, then when we moved here to Utah, I was so excited about this. And, um, and here's some things that are, that are true when we came out here. Why, why did we move out to, to Utah? The only reason we're here is because we were called. I had never thought of Utah. <laughs> had no desire to live in Utah. <laughs> um, but as I'm saying, when you hold on to Jesus, he has different ideas for your life than you do. So I ended up in Utah. And, um, and then the first thing we did is we, we felt like we were really supposed to live in Sugar House. And there was a, so there was a specific place where we felt like we were supposed to live. Now, the other thing is we needed to f- uh, find a house that we could afford, which was kind of hard in Sugar House. And um, because we also wanted a home that was large enough for us to entertain. Our home in Michigan, as much as I loved it, it was really small. Like if we had a life together group in our home, everybody had to sit like this. And so we really were hoping that we would be provided with a home. So we moved, we needed a home because God called us to a new home. There was a certain location which we knew that we needed to buy in. We only had so much resource to purchase and we had a commitment to say that we need a home that can actually provide the purposes that we feel like we have as a family. And I'll never forget, man, back then the market was hot when we were moving out here. So the day that we went to look for our house uh, is the day our house went on the market. And so we walked in there, and I remember we were walking around, and I didn't, I, Susie was in the back room, and I came around the side, and she was just standing there, and tears were just streaming down her face. And she just said, man, I had no idea that we could actually get a home like this. And it really was a dream. But... We went back to Michigan, and I mean, literally, the next day, our realtor calls us and says, hey, you guys better put your offer in because other people are already getting ready to put offers in. I mean, it was that. So we had to just quickly buy that thing, and we purchased it up, and, it was, and it, we were so excited. And then, I'll never forget, I got here and uh, couldn't wait, was so excited to be here, got in our home. It was probably about two or three days later, and I stepped out on our front porch, or no, because we don't have one, and... Uh, <laughs> And I stood out on our front yard, and all of a sudden I looked down our street, and I go, there's no trees on this street. And all of a sudden I'm like, this is an ugly street. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, and then I looked around, and I go, wait a second. There's no families on our street. 
Because we live by Westminster College, and almost every street on our, our home on our street is a duplex for college students. And I'm like, are you kidding me? My kids are going to have no one to play with. In fact, we have young people who've stayed with us a lot through the years, and many of them came in and they go, oh, yeah, I partied on this street. <laughs> so it's a perfect place to be. But, and then I, I, I stand there, and I can't see the mountains from my house. I mean, how can you live in Salt Lake and not see the mountains? You know, this was so weird. After two days, I had total buyer's remorse. I'm like, this house stinks. Now, that's not true. I mean, we, there were many things we loved about it. But it was crazy how I went through this process in the moving. So here's what I want to share with you. As we get ready to move into our new building, let me tell you some things that are true, okay? There are going to be some things about this building that you really like. I really, and all of you will like different things, but you're going to like some things. And there's going to be some things in this building that you don't like. Y'all know that? Okay. It's just, that is going to be our reality. I doubt if there's any one of you who are going to walk in there and go, man, this is perfect. But there are going to be things you like and things you don't like. There are going to be some things you're going to walk in there and go, man, you guys nailed this. This is awesome. And then you're going to see things and you're going to go, how did you miss that? Because the truth is, I'm sure we missed some stuff. And I'm sure we got some things right. Um, I guarantee you this one. There are going to be some things that work really well. And there will be some things that don't work at all. You guys know how this is going to be? Okay? It's the same thing as when I moved into my house. Now, the coolest thing about moving into our home, just two months ago when we were doing Thanksgiving and we sat around with my, my kids and I asked them, say, so what are you thankful for? Every one of my kids said, I love our home. And I love it. But there's transition that has to take place. When you move from a place that you really love and now go into a new and different place. And so, um, and when I, when I think about this, um, so many of the things that were true about me moving here are true about us moving two exits down the street, right? So we moved because we had a calling. And why are we going two, two exits south? Because we feel like God has a calling on us as a church. We moved because we felt like there was a specific area that we needed to be in. And we have always felt like there's a specific circle of influence where we need to stay as a church. We had to find a place that we could actually afford. And we needed a house, a new house, that could actually provide the purposes that we have as a church. And so I, I just want to tell you, I was there again yesterday, and I think it's freaking awesome. I, I, I really do. I, I, there's no question in my mind that we are going to be able to do ministry that God's called us to very, very well in our new home. But in light of the fact that change is just hard, here's what I want to ask all of you. Because I know this is going to happen. It happens to me when I go over there. We are going to walk in, and immediately you're going to make judgments. You, just, you can't help it. I like this. I don't like this. You guys nailed this. You missed this. That works. This doesn't work. That's just going to happen for all of us. So here's what I want to ask. I learned this from another from another church. Let's just not actually make any judgments for at least six months. Can we all agree to do that? And, now, and what I mean by that is this. It's just like when you meet somebody, you, in your heart, you make a judgment. But you don't, you chill on that, right? And you get to know the person. And as you get to know the person and you love the person, all of a sudden you realize, wow, my judgments weren't even right. So I really believe as we move into our new place, one of the most critical things for us is to say, instead of us judging whether we like it or whether we don't, here's what's true, you guys. 
we get to go into a place that was a bowling alley, <laughs> and we get to create a church. We get to create a culture there. And so when we move in less than a month, which is crazy, that's what I want us to do. Let's walk in this place. Let's move because God is a God of change. It's what he does, and I'm so excited to follow him into this. So when you move, there's some things you're glad to get rid of. There's some things you can't take with you. But here's the, here's the last thing. When you moved, there were some things that you knew you were going to take with you. Every one of us. So, so Garrett shares his. He's got this pocket watch, right, that is so valuable to him. Wherever he goes, that thing is going with him, and he would never leave it behind. And so what I want to share with us today and throughout this month is what are those things? What are the essence of who we are as a church at K2? That it wouldn't matter if we met in a barn. It wouldn't matter if we were in an actual church building or a warehouse or Taj Mahal or a bowling alley. It doesn't matter. Because there are some things, no matter where we go, we are going to hold on to. Okay? So before I jump into the scripture, let's just pray and uh, let's take some time and let's ask God to get us and prepare us for this next step that he has us as a church. Father, thank you so much for the ride. I, I, I am constantly in awe of the honor and the privilege it is to follow you. You definitely do more than I would ever think. You definitely go places that I would never want to go. And you definitely do beautiful, powerful, life-changing things that are absolutely glorious. So God, on behalf of everybody, I just want to say to you, we're your church. We're your body and we're your bride. And we'll go with you. So Lord, as we move, would you, even right now in these next few minutes together, would you help us all to think about and to realize and to understand the core and the essence of who we are as a church and what we're going to hold on to and what we're going to take with us. I pray you give us that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So there's three main passages we're going to look at through this month. Very interesting because they're places where the Bible tells us there are things that we're supposed to hold on to. Okay? So that's what we're going to look at. And here's the first one. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, this is one of my favorite passages. I pray this prayer. This is actually a prayer. I pray this prayer for myself. This might be another one. Write this one down. This, would, this should be a great passage for you to do over and over and over again and pray it. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for those that you love. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, I'm sorry, may have power together with all the saints or the Lord's holy people to grasp, there's the word, to hold on to, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, I love this passage. You know, we, we, could, we could probably spend half a year on this passage. There's so much good stuff in here. One of the things, the words you'll notice throughout this passage is the word power, right? How many of you were here last week? Okay, if you were not here last week, Eli did a phenomenal job unpacking what the power of God really is. And it's interesting because the power that I, you hear that word and our perception of what power is, is the antithesis of what God's power is all about. And so Jesus came and it's completely different when he revealed this power. It's the power of humility. It's the power of deference. It's the power of having the ability to completely lose your devotion to yourself. So it's the power of love. And what's interesting, you guys, is, is, is we all know that. If you, if you stop and think about it, you know. It's like I need something more than what I've got to actually really be able to love. Now, and, 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 and let's not say maybe there's someone that you're with who's extremely lovable. You know, anybody have a trouble loving a lovable person? <laughs> no. But God didn't say that that's what we're supposed to do. It takes a power to just love. And this is it. There's a, there's, and, and God constantly is saying, if you can lose yourself, if you can be like Jesus, if you can empty yourself, and he says, I want to give you that power. Now, here's what's interesting. In this passage, it says that, and I, I remember um, it was years ago, a good friend of mine who was on, I was on staff with in Detroit uh, kind of just brought this to my attention. And I'd read this verse many times, and I'd never seen this before. You and I actually need power to be able to grasp the love of Christ. Can you guys put that up there? I don't know, Vrat, can you just put that up there again so we can see that? Um, I think it's verse, uh, yeah, verse 18. Look at that. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, not head knowledge, know it experientially. This love that what? <laughs> Surpasses knowledge. See, so what God is saying is, my love is so, I want to, oh, people don't like me to say that, so awesome. <laughs> So unbelievable, literally, beyond knowledge, unbelievable, that you actually, I have to give you a spiritual power for you to even be able to understand it. To act, it's that good, it's that beautiful, it's that pure. And I just want to tell you, here's what we're talking about today. The one thing that we are going to hold on to, no matter what, is the love of Christ. We're going to hold on to the love of Christ. 
And so as we do that, and as we look at that, what does that mean? Because and when I, as soon as I think about the love of Christ, I sat there this week and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's so multifaceted. But here's what I tell you. The love of Christ, which is true love, can only actually be experienced as it's received and given. When you look at Jesus, and I'll get to this in a minute, but uh, it's so funny. In the book of John, if you... Uh, Put in the thesaur- if you put in the concordance, I want to know everywhere in the book of John where it talks about the Father and love. Almost every time Jesus says, the Father loves me, the Father loves me, the Father loves me, the Father loves me. He knew he was loved. And because of that, he says, I love the Father. So if we're going to look at the love of Christ, the one of the things you need to understand is to know that you're loved. It is a love that's received and it's given. So, three things that I want to just unpack that as unpack as we get ready at K2 the church to move, what are we taking with us into this new place and just into a new building? The first one is this. We are going to hold on to Christ's love for us. We are going to hold on to that. That Christ loves us. It's called the gospel, right? I know it's a very churchy word. If we were just using the Greek, we'd say good news, because that's all the word means. The good news, the main central message of Christianity is that God loves us, and we're going to hold on to that. In fact, our first value here at K2, if you go through our crash course, the first value that we have is the absolute fulfillment of receiving all that God has for us. So, Look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So I have a few uh, props for us, things that we're going to help us remember. Um, what are we going to take with us, you guys? What are we going to take with us no matter where we're at? And there is nothing, nothing that helps us to understand the only way, the only way that God could help us to understand this love that is beyond knowledge, that takes supernatural power to even be able to grasp was through this. The cross is the symbol of the love of Christ. And I just want to say, until I die, unapologetically, this is what we will be about. And I don't care where we are. The building doesn't matter. The essence of who we are is what matters. And we have to understand, we have to comprehend, we have to hold on and grasp this right here. And this is what we're taking with us wherever we go. So, um, First Corinthians one eighteen says, "For the message of the cross." is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
I don't know why. I'm sorry. This wasn't happening in first service. Uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. To us who are being saved, this right here is the power of God. And this is why we need help to understand it because as soon as you think about the, the word power, it means I'm over you. And yet Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many. The power in this symbol right here of Jesus Christ on the cross was that he loves you. And if you ever question that, then you go back to this. And he doesn't just love you. He loves, right? Because here's, let me just read some scripture for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And you know what that word, again, you know what it means to have? It means to hold on to. It means to possess. It's a possession that you now have. And you can have eternal life. Why? Because God loves you. And I, I am telling you, everything that we do at K2 somehow has to come back to this. This is the power of God that saves us. So we try to grasp this and we go, what does it mean? And so, man, in the 10 years of living here in Salt Lake in this valley, this verse is so important. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, well, actually, verse 4 says, but because, listen, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I'm telling you, I feel like I could share that verse every Sunday because all of us in here, we struggle so much with thinking that we have to prove ourselves worthy of God's love. And everybody's trying hard. And yet we have this God that we feel like, well, well, here's on one side, some people think God's just so nice that, well, you can just screw around, do whatever you want, and he's not going to care. But that's not true. He's a holy God who actually cares. So then, if you actually believe that, then you've got this God up there, and you're like, well, now I can't. I've got to be good enough for him, and I've got to do the right things. And there's all this pressure on you. And this right here says, stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to be good enough for the gift that I want to give you. Right? How many of you work for a gift? No, you work for a wage. And the Bible says the wage that you earned is death by your effort. Good job. <laughs> you worked really hard at that. And here's your wage. You failed. The wages of sin is death. It's what you've earned. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's his love. And if you ever want to go, well, what does it look like? Then you go to Romans 5 and it says this. Hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured 
his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You see, at just the right time, when, you, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Write that one down, man. See, I got that one memorized. You need to know that. Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. Why is that so important? Because every one of our human relationships that you're in, every one of them, even the best one you've got, is conditional at some point. And so we all, that's why we think God is conditional. Because everybody else in this room, we love each other if. Can we all just admit to that? Can we all just confess that? Confess that right now. You're an ifer. Just, you know, I'm an ifer. We all love if. And here's what can happen. You all can do things that the next person sitting next to you will eventually pull away their love. And what Jesus Christ did in this, this is why we need power to grasp this. This is why it is beyond our ability to comprehend it. He says, when you're powerless, when you're ungodly, and when you're a sinner, it's just the right time for me to love you. That means there's nothing that I can do ever for God to pull his, way, his love from me. And I just want to tell you, man, from this day forward, K2 the church, you want to hang out here? This is what we're going to be about. And we are going to hold on to this. We are going to cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, I, and I just, can I just tell you, if you don't know this, if you don't know this God, please keep hanging out with us until the light turns on and you're saved by grace, by faith, and not by works anymore. <laughs> I see you guys nodding. It's awesome. Someday. It's beautiful. All right. Wow, I went too long on that point. But that's the main point. Without that, we're nothing. So we're taking that with us. Okay, real quick, next two. We will also hold on to Christ's love for the Father. We're going to hold on. If we're going to, if we got to grasp Christ's love, then we have to grasp that he loves us. But here's the other thing you got to understand about Christ. He loves the Father. And, and what the scripture, what that uh, uh, passage said was, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ will dwell in your heart. You guys see how the cool this is? The only chance I have of loving the Father is what? It's Jesus in me. That's the only shot I got. Because I'm selfish, man. But Jesus loves the Father. And so in John 14, 31, he said this. He goes, the world's got to learn. I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. So that's who Jesus is. Now, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 again, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as, in the same way, as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, but look at this, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If we're going to know and grasp the love of Christ, we have to understand Jesus loves the Father and he does whatever the Father wants him to do. And now we're, he's in here. And if you're a follower of Christ, he's in you. And K2, what are we called? A what? What are we? 
Yeah, we're church. That's okay. That wasn't a trick question. Okay? We're church. And what the Bible says the church is, it's the body of Christ. Why? How's that work? Well, it's because his spirit now that says yes to the Father, does whatever the Father tells him to do, is living inside of us. And then what's he tell us to do? Walk in the same way. So here's my, here's my uh, prop for this. These old stinky guys right here. Walk in the way of love. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, and this is love. You guys ready? This is love. That we walk, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Now, I tell you, man, I, I purchased these guys because uh, uh, my siblings and their spouses and Susie and I, right before we moved out here, we decided to do a backpacking trip for a week up in Canada. Oh, what a blast, man. I tell you, it's so fun. I, I can't tell you how much, I, I don't have time for sure, to tell you all the cool stories that have happened in these boots, right? A few years ago, Susie and I, and I was in these pies, we, we hiked up to Sundial Peak for our anniversary. You guys remember this story? I'm sitting there, we're having this nice picnic, and all of a sudden a bear shows up. I have booked tail in these boots, right? I have ran down the mountain. I have hiked up a mountain. I have seen so many wonderful things. And you guys, can I, listen, man, right now, my family and I, we're watching the Bible, right? I don't know if you guys have seen that or not, but I got our kids together, and we're watching the Bible. Like, it's one thing to know the stories. I know the stories. It's another thing to watch them. It's really impacting me. It's wild to watch Abraham walk where God said, go to a place that I'll tell you. I'm not even telling you where. Just go. And then he walks. And then he takes Lot and he's got his family with him. And this is the thing I'd never seen in scripture, but I love how they displayed this. As you know, at one point, Lot came to him and asked if he could go away. He wanted to split away from Abraham. And I'm just like, okay, that's part of the story. What Lot wanted to leave. No, his only family member was leaving him on a journey to who knows where. And now I see how hard that would have been. You guys, you guys feel that a little bit more? And then Abraham with his knife lifted in the air. He's going to kill his own son, sacrifice his son. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I, God, you are out of control. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I think I go through tests. There's nothing like the test that he went through. But what did Abraham see? He was called God's friend, and he got to see God move. And then you get to Moses, right? And Moses has to go back to Egypt where he killed a guy and, and all the stuff that went on. And, and, but the most important part, right, is he's taking the Israelites, and they get up to the Red Sea. And they've seen God do amazing things because Moses walked, because he loved God, and he's sitting safe in a desert in his safe little place, shepherding his flock, just doing his job. Everything's cool. God says, no, go back to Pharaoh. Fa fa go back to Egypt. Face Pharaoh. You're the guy who's going to take my people. You know, you guys know the argument that went on for a while? Uh-uh, <laughs> uh-uh. Finally, yes. Yes. Because Moses loved God. And so he walked with him, and he did what God wanted him to do. What did Moses get to see for crying out loud? He's standing at a sea with an army at his back. This is all, that's what I'm saying. So why in the world do we want this happy little Jesus Christianity? Why? 
See, it didn't even get on the, the tape now. So why? When we have a God who is going to call you out and ask you to do things you don't want to go do and ask you to go where you don't want to go, and then the Red Sea splits because he walked with God. Come on. So I just got to tell you, man, this was a year making this decision to move. When it came down to it, I'm like, am I going to play it safe and just have a safe little place? Or am I going to follow God and step out into stuff that I don't know if an army's going to take me down or not, but I'm going to walk with him? Can I ask you, will you walk with us? Yeah. Will you walk with yeah. us? Yeah. And here's the deal. Who knows what 2015 holds? I don't know. But I can tell you this right now. We are taking this with us. It's the love of Christ for his father. And we're going to do that. Last one. Um, oh, that wasn't good. Um, we need Christ's love for each other. We need Christ's love for each other. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. In Ephesians, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, listen, together, that you'd have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp. Here's what's crazy, you guys. We can't, I understand scripture right, to really know the love of God. It's, 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 ob it's objective. You never have to doubt it because of this. But to experience it, it's often because of this. The way God loves us is through each other. And so Christ is in me. And if Christ is in you, then we have a love that's no longer for ourselves. And this beautiful place called the church is supposed to, and, and did you notice at the very end of the passage it said, to him be glory, where? In the church. And the reason the church would be glorious is if we get the point that we are going to take with us Christ's love for each other. And this guy right here, I bought this for Susie as an anniversary gift. It sits right on our coffee table in the middle, middle of our living room. And, and that's what it is. It's me and it's Susie and Ashlyn and Mariah. Caleb hates this statue. Uh, he, he really does. He's, he's asked if we could get a new one. But at that point, we only had four in our family. So, but what I love about this statue is it is so interwoven. Every part is connected to the others. And I just want to tell you guys, two hours you'll probably spend here at most this week. And the other 166 hours, you're going to spend doing life. And I want to tell you, what we have to take with us is we have to take life together with us. And life together happens in your home. Life together happens in a coffee shop. Life, ha life together happens anywhere that you are with the people that you love. And here's the beautiful thing. When I moved out here, I actually brought my wife and my kids. <laughs> How noble of me. 
The Bible says that you and I are brothers and sisters, and we are family, and we are going there together. We'd go to a barn together. We'd go anywhere together, because that's what we are. We are family. You know, my dad um, built our home that I grew up in when I was four, 45 years ago. Beautiful home. He worked on that house every single day of his life. It was his whole, he just loved it. And this last year, because of his health concerns, he had to, he had to sell our home. And I tell you, man, I, I talked to my sister. She bawled on the phone for an hour. We all flew back and at some point to be able to go and just see it one more time. And I'll never forget, man, it was crazy. My dad moved into a little fabricated home, you know, like a little double wide in, a, in, our, um, in our little village. And I walked in the door, and you know what? He designed, the family room is exactly the same as the other family room. <laughs> I'm serious. I just started laughing. TV's in the same place. Two rocking chairs where they both rock, right? They got their tables. It was just like, there it is. Everything changed. And nothing changed. But here's the biggest thing that didn't change, right? My dad moved. But he's still my dad. He's still my dad. K2, we're going to move. But we're still K2. We're still K2. And we will be about the love of Christ for us. And we will be about Christ's love for his Father. And we will be about Christ's love for one another, no matter where we go. And so, as the band comes up, you guys, and we do this. Here we go, right? We're heading out. And we're going to take the love of Christ. You guys ready to take the love of Christ for us? You guys ready to walk with him and go wherever he takes us? And will we... Take our love for one another to our new building. Here we go. All right. So here's how we're going to close our service. Jesus told us, you guys are going to have a hard time remembering how much I love you. You just are. So I want you to remember me. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to close our service today with communion as our worship team leads us. And to give you all a chance to, again, so as the bread comes forward and our, our greeters bring the bread, grab that piece of bread, hold it, because Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. What was he saying? What was he saying there? This is my life that I give to you. This is my life. So that's the picture of the cross right there. Jesus on the cross is him saying to you, powerless, ungodly sinner, I give you my life. So take it. And digest it and get that bread into your being as his body broken for you. And the cup is coming here now. The second thing he did is he said, he took the cup and he said, this is a symbol, right? This is my blood that I shed for you. You need to know, you need to remember how much I love you. I would die so that you could be forgiven of all of your sins. So man, as we think about who are we as a church and where are we going, hold the bread, hold the juice, and at any time throughout this worship that you feel ready, you go ahead and take that and eat and remember Christ's love for you. Eat and then drink it down and remember his forgiveness that you are completely clean. And let's rejoice and let's celebrate and let's hold on to the love of Christ.